Welcome to another thrill-packed episode of Superman Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can fly eyes is 1978's Superman the Movie, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Franklin, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Rob L. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Rob L, be reasonable. Uh, let's see. Uh... <laughs> And joining us once again is the man behind the Fortress of Bailey 2 podcast network, co-host from Crisis to Crisis, the Superman podcast, and the Superman homepages radio KAL live broadcast, among many others. The podcasting world's love child of E. Nelson Bridwell and Mark Wade, Mr. <laughs> Michael Bailey. You know, you say, uh, you know, you know, Rob L. be reasonable. Now I, I want to step up and, but what about Tracy? <laughs> um, uh, thank you so much for having me back for this. I, I I didn't mention this in the last episode, but so I'll mention it here. When you guys said you were going to do this, I was excited. When you opened it up for people to like come on and had me in that group, I got even more excited because you know this is this is one of my favorite films of all time. So like like you know, and and of all the movies that I've seen, I cannot even tell you how many times I have seen this film because it's it's just it's that many. I mean, it's just it's just lost to the ages. <laughs> yeah, I lost track like decades ago. I, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a. I'd say this is up in the. If you, if you count um, times I've listened to it. You know, where, like, you're just listening to the audio or something? Like, I do that at work. I'm in the hundreds on this one. I mean, I have the original VHS release. I have a later VHS. I have the 2001. I have the 2006. And I have it on Blu-ray. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm obsessed, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I've still got a few VHS tapes. I taped it off the ABC uh, and Sunday I night the movie. conversation. <laughs> No, you didn't kill the conversation. Uh, I, I, I recorded a few times off the ABC Sunday Night Movie, and I've still got those VHS tapes somewhere. So. Okay, last time Michael helped us discuss the death of Jonathan Kent and Clark's discovery of the remnants of his rocket ship and the glowing green crystal which called to him. Uh, these five minutes that we're talking about this time find Clark leaving Smallville and his mother behind to find his destiny up north. It ends with the crystal Clark is thrown landing in the snow in the Arctic. Guys, we're here in these moments. Uh, what do we think? I cannot get out of my head after watching the commentary, and I can't unsee the trail that Phyllis Thaxter walks to get to Clark <laughs> through the cornfield. Because <laughs> they can only do the one trail. So now I can't unsee it. No, it's, this is this is one of those. You know, it's not like as epic, even though they try with the with the sweeping of the camera and the music swelling. You know, you know the dying or the finding of the crystal, but it's still an emotional scene because this is a this is a man saying goodbye to his home and his mother. And she, you know, her her lines are, you know, we knew this day would come ever since we found you, and remember. And it's just like. Okay, this is more of that. What makes Superman Superman? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think she kind of hammers home the like Jonathan Kent's lesson, even though she didn't hear that conversation. Uh, you know, she's saying you know that his remembrance of what they taught him will you know be the foundation of of who he is, and uh, despite what he's getting ready to go off and do, um, and and what he's getting ready to find out about himself. 
so I think that's I think that's really strong and powerful. And and I have to go ahead and say it. I kind of mentioned it when we before we started recording. But uh, the infamous product placement of Cheerios. As uh, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I'm hungry for Cheerios for some reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> Superman has switched from Kellogg's, which was his radio and TV sponsor for the adventures of Superman to Cheerios. <laughs> yeah, General Mills ponied up more movie and more money for the movie. So that, that's, that, you know, there, there, there are those weird things that you remember uh, about a movie. And, you know, we, we talked about how many times we've seen that. This is one of those things of seeing that Cheerios box is one of those things I remember from watching it when I was a really little kid. You know, product placement is powerful, and, you know, you know what Cheerios is, so you see it and you recognize it. So that that's a, that and another part of this five minutes that we're going to be discussing are one of those things that I remember from when I was like five or six and saw this for the first time. Like, oh, that. And I don't know why. Cheer, it's Cheerios. I mean, you know, one, Honey Nut Cheerios is so much better than regular Cheerios. So we're mm-hmm. just going to get that right out of the way. You know, there, there, there's not even a discussion to be had, <laughs> but but it's just it's just weird that that is what everybody will you know when you talk to fans of this movie, someone's going to bring Cheerios up at some point. <laughs> and in the sequel, they'll bring up Coca Cola and Budweiser <laughs> or, Mar- or is it Marlboro? Marlboro, yeah, Marlboro, Marlboro, yeah, that's yeah. Especially yeah. when your mom smokes Marlboros, that has it, like there's like a deeper meaning going on there. So, gotcha. <laughs> I don't think I, you know, ever did a um, like a Cheerios box with like Christopher Reeve on it, which is kind of amazing when you think that they didn't do like a like a you know a Superman movie Cheerios box. I would have begged my mom for that. Oh yeah, uh, they had Post had a lot of DC superhero stuff in their serials back then. I, I maybe that maybe that. Oh had God, to... you're right. I remember that now. Yeah, they they had. A, I don't know if it was a tie-in because of. Post having a relationship with Hanna Barbera because of the Flintstones and Fruity Pebbles and and stuff, but they they were I mean, I actually won I actually won something from one of those. I got like a a, a special Super Friends comic and a pack of puffy stickers. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> that was like that my that's like I have peaked in life and I was like seven, you know, or six or something. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Cindy appreciates that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh, you know, one little bit. Not too long after the the the, uh, the Cheerios bed is, you know, Martha looks out the window and she sees Clark standing, you know, on the the horizon. He's looking out at, in the field, and and there's this this close up on Phyllis Thaxter's face, and it's just this. There's like this resigned look to her face, and she gets this little smile, like this, like her the corner of her mouth just kind of comes up, and it's, it's like she's like, I knew this was coming, and here we are, and she just kind of, you know, it's kind of this. It's not really like she's happy, but she's just like, well, I knew this was going to happen, kind of moment, and uh, you know, we've talked about, of course, Glenn Ford fantastic performance but you know phyllis daxter is 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 equally good in in her scenes as as martha and and so little so many little subtle things that she does in the in this segment like when she walks up to clark she she starts to touch him a few times and then she like pulls her hand back like like she's already kind of letting him go you know even though they have that big and two big embraces as the music sweeps around 
it, it's it's when you start watching it for something like this, you notice these things like that. <laughs> I never noticed that, Chris. Good catch. I, I never noticed that. I, the one thing I noticed from watching this stuff is that how much older she is. You know, they're mm-hmm. really establishing. Okay, it's been it's several years since Clark's discovered the crystal. And he's gone on to do some things. Maybe he's looked into journalism. Like, maybe this is the beginning of that and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's really like, wow, she's a lot older, so he has age over time. But, I, yeah, I never noticed the whole thing, reaching out to him and then pulling away. That's it's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I honestly hadn't put two and two together about how her hair, her hair is gray in the the scenes we see at with Jonathan dying and then his funeral. But now it's the silver-haired mother that Clark mentions mm-hmm. uh, to Perry later in the movie. Uh, so, yeah, there might be a greater time gap than what we were talking about last time. I, I guess it never had really sunk into me. Or Jonathan's death has kind of just aged her a little bit. That's true. Uh, which will happen. Ben Hubbard, uh, Rob mentioned in the previous episode that Ben Hubbard comes back uh, in Superman Returns. Uh, Jeff Loeb loves this movie. And when he was writing the character, you know, like 1999, 2000, uh, he actually snuck in so many references to Ben Hubbard. Uh, <laughs> it, it could have been like one or two, but it seemed like there were more. So it was it, it was always kind of interesting when I would read that. It was like, ah, it's from the movie. That's that, that's kind of cool. So but this is uh, him saying, you know, I talked to Ben Hubbard this morning and he's going to be looking after things like that shows a maturity. Um that, you know, is kind of beyond the normal 18-year-old, basically. Mm-hmm. Because cause when you really think about it, you know, he's, uh, he's leaving home. He's leaving home after his father died. And I'm kind of wondering if the people of Smallville always kind of looked at him cross-eyed because of that. Mm. Like, maybe he should have stayed, and having that conversation with Ben Hubbard was like a big deal. Uh, you know, and these are the things you think about when you're examining a movie five minutes at a time. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's just one of those things where, uh, in Tom DeHaven's book, it's Superman, which I cannot recommend enough. There's a scene where a couple characters are talking about Clark, who has been gone for a couple years by uh, at this point in the story. And it's like, well, where's Clark? Why isn't he helping his father? And it was, it, it, that's what it made me think of. Well, there's people who are going to think that in Smallville. Why isn't he staying and working on the farm with, and taking care of his mother? So, uh, and the other reason Ben Hubbard said yes is, like Rob said, you know, he had, you know, he's, you know, been planning this moment for years. You know? <laughs> no, no, seriously, John, have another cheeseburger. Seriously, I, I think he'll just enjoy it. I'm sorry I said that. Now I feel I feel terrible that I injected any note of. Any note of uh, of sinisterness to this movie? This, this movie doesn't earn that. You know that's a good point, Michael. That that uh, because you know there is a especially you know uh, I know my dad grew up on a farm and and uh, you know all his brothers they were all expected to you know stay and work on the farm uh, basically and to the point where you know when my dad was a kid, they went to eighth grade and then, okay, you went to eighth grade. Now you got to work on the farm full time, you know? And, and so then all, all my dad and all his brothers got their GEDs when they were in the military, Uh, you know? So, so there was a, there was a, you know, there was an idea that, you know, well, Jonathan passed away, then Clark's got to take over the farm. So, 
Uh, yeah, there might be some stink eye looks that Clark gets when he comes back to <laughs> to Smallville uh, reunion in, in Superman 3. <laughs> oh, yeah, your mom died and you weren't here. Good job, Clark. Welcome yeah. home, jerk. <laughs> At least he sent money back. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and he also, you know, way to go, Clark. Stand out there in the field and make your mother walk like a half mile. <laughs> You could have super sped up to her at any moment when she started walking out, but you had to be all dramatic and stand out there. On the... Oh, come on. That shot of the camera sweeping around them just, oh, man, it gets it gets me every time and how it just dissolves into the shot of the Arctic. It's just, you know, Rob, last time was talking about the editing and the choices made, you know, by Stuart Baird and, and, and Richard Donner in the editing bay. It's just like you, you, you don't you're not supposed to think about those as an audience. It's supposed to you know, if it's done right, you you, you don't think about it. But now it's just like, wow, they crafted that and it does, one does go right into the other and the music just goes from this, you know, this dramatic goodbye to you know the thing that I describe the music as he's walking to the Arctic is uncertainty. Because he mm-hmm. doesn't know why he's going there, he doesn't know what's going to happen. So, you know, you have that and you have him going, you know, walking on the salt um, because all the snow was salt. And apparently if a speck of that salt got on the camera, it would ruin it. Yeah. Uh, The the thing about him going up and getting the crystal out, and this is the second thing that I remember as a kid, is every time he opens that bag and you see that red, yellow and blue fabric sticking out, you're like, oh, he's got the costume. (laughs) You know, I don't know if I was the only one that ever thought that, but it's just like his mother, like in my head, even though it was never said in the comics or any, I never read the comics by this point or anything. His mom made that costume for him. Yeah. Yeah. I I always thought that I, I think, you know, uh, you know, you got a question. Okay. Well, did she, was the S on it? They didn't know what that was yet. You know, cause it's the, the family crest, the old family crest here for the first time, but it's either, you know, okay. You could say, well, he took the blankets with him, but why, you know, but yeah. And if you wanted to, I mean, I don't, but you could say, okay, well maybe Clark's already been wearing that costume and we just didn't see it. You know? So, so if you're like a big Superboy fan, I guess you could always say, we just didn't see that aspect in this movie, but I, I don't buy into that. But, but yeah, the, that, that part, uh, I, I don't know at what point I, I read that, you know, she made the costume. Uh, but after reading that in a comic and then seeing that, I was like, Oh, now I, now I get it, you know? And, and, and of course that, that raises a lot of questions of, you know, well, why would she go ahead and make it for him if she wasn't certain what he was going to find out or what he was going to do, but who cares? That's Superman canon. She made the costume from the blanket. So it's a nice little concession. Yeah, it never really dawned on me that anything else other than she made the costume and she, you know, he was going by the same sort of impulse that's taking him north. She doesn't really know why she's making the costume or exactly what it's for, but she's doing it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, that's and that's another thing that I kind of wanted to bring up last time. And I kind of forgot is is the crystal. I mean, you know, is it is it the sound called him, like Mike said, but is there something is there something more? I mean, he says later in Superman 2, it called to me, you know, he tells Lois. And so is it, is there some kind of, you know, genetic telepathic link to him? Or is it just because he, it's, it's actually making a sound 
that only he can hear, you know, like we'll see later in the movie. Uh, you know, the, the kind of crystal, almost the sound of two crystals rubbing up against each other sound it kind of makes. It's, I mean, you can go deep with some of this stuff and, and really, and really kind of question, uh, you know, what exactly, cause they don't, they don't, they, they leave it open to interpretation, which I think is great because that gives us nerds a chance to have a conversation like this, you know, so. <laughs> means it's all worth it that's right <laughs> is this the first moment that we have where the camera is simulating flight with the pan over their shoulders and it takes off i feel like that's the first shot we get of 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 the feeling of what this whole movie will be selling is that superman is flying well i i, I was always wondering that because it looks like he's like a little speck walking on the on the frozen tundra there you know when he's walking across but i but it, it also could be that, you know, it could be that he flew part of the way. Could he fly yet? Did he just run? Did he, did he walk? No, it's I like mean, in, the, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, when they're in the cornfield and the, oh, uh, and the, 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 the cameras behind Clark oh. and Ma Kent and the camera pans up and shoots over them and flies over the horizon. And then we get the fade. Like that's the first real shot of sort of simulating flight as far as I can think of you know where gotcha. it's trying to sort of give you that feeling of levitating into the air i feel like donner saved that move for this shot mm, that's a good point i hadn't even thought of that yeah yeah very it could very well be pointing toward his his destiny you know and, and i think it's neat that you go from of course the golden amber hues of smallville this very warm environment he was in to the very cold arctic and you know the the you know the back to you know environment very much like what we saw on Krypton, right, right, uh, which is of course the point. But it's 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 kind of showing like like uh, in in like Michael said, the music kind of plays into that. He's entering into a kind of a whole new world, which is I keep bringing it, I keep bringing up Smallville. But you know one of the great moments on Smallville, of course, was when Tom Welling met Christopher Reeve, and yeah, they, yeah. they used this music here, you know. And I thought that when I heard that music, I like I remember jumping up off the couch. <laughs> I mean, I was like, yes, because uh, I didn't know they'd let them use it, you know, because a lot of times they won't. Uh, and I, it, it totally, if Christopher Reed being on there wasn't enough, that totally sold it for me. And it was fantastic. Yeah, my, my, my wife uh, asked me if I needed a minute uh, <laughs> after that entire sequence. And uh, I looked at her very honestly and said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to need a minute right now. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> not to not to get off this minute, or but just because we were bringing up that, but the that episode of Smallville, the that's the one that features the little bumper of Tom Welling, Christopher Reeve talking about the Christopher Reeve Foundation, mm-hmm. where they make a direct mm-hmm. appeal to the audience. That's the one that gets me to see the two of them, you know, uh, without not playing a, a character. And it's just mm-hmm. two supermen sitting there next to each other. And then the fact they they kind of like they do almost do like an outtake at the end. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, that that killed me. That just killed me. I was like, oh, it's two it's two generations of supermen next to each other, which we never really got. You know, we didn't get to have like George Reeves with Christopher Reeve or Kirk Allen with George Reeves or anything like that. You know, nowadays it's a little more common because they're supermen or there's multiple supermen around. But uh, that that little commercial bumper with the two of them, man, that's the moment where I was like, yeah, that's that's you. I'm not crying. You're crying. You know, it was something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, I'm glad you said that, because that's like 
one of my favorite parts of the episode too. And it's not, and like you said, it's not even part of the episode, right? Yeah. But it's just this, you know, when 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 Tom Welling gets that aw shucks look on his face, like no, 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 thank you. And I'm just like, wow, that is so endearing. Yeah, that is that is so neat. And it was, you know, there are people out there that will argue that Tom Welling was never Superman, and you can. You can make that argument. I, I think there's a zero-sum game there, because what are you tr- ultimately trying to prove? But he was Clark Kent, uh, which is one of the most important elements of Superman. So to see that, like you said, which is something we've never seen before. We never saw Christopher Reeve and Dean Cain in a scene together. You know, you know, we, we got to see Brandon Routh and Melissa Benoist like, interacting, which was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know... Now we're in an age where you can have like multiple Superman together, right? Uh, because you know it's not like the the every twenty years you're going to get a new Superman type thing anymore. And now it's like, well, you know, whenever Warner Brothers feels like cranking one out, they can. So mm-hmm. we have two Superman yeah. going on right now. One is clearly better than the other. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, between this and the Honey Nut Cheerios, Mike is just laying down markers left and right in this episode. Eight. He is, man. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just, cre- I'm creating argument points for the comments section. Let me just put it to you. There. This is like having Frank. This is like having Frank on the show. This is just, oh my gosh. <laughs> no, because I only took two minutes to explain my point. <laughs> we know he's not listening to this. So we're, I didn't we're, have the freaking Sermon of the Mount, you know, you know, crank, you know, coming out with everything I say. So it's okay. <laughs> Oh, quick question, guys. Is that a puppet polar bear we see coming out of the water <laughs> when what, Clark's... Where is, at what moment? Did I miss that? Where is that? Oh, yeah. The, there's a point. I noticed it when I was watching it uh, right before we started recording because I really wanted it to be fresh in my mind. There's this sound I was hearing like... And there's like this like almost polar bear coming out of the water. So it's probably a puppet. I, yeah, it, it looks like a puppet. It's uh, let's see what minute is it? It is. I can't uh, believe all the times I've watched this movie and I have never noticed that before that there was a polar bear coming. Out. This is the um, the James Bond soundstage, by the way, because it was mm-hmm. the only soundstage in the world that you could that could be filled with water had was waterproof. So they shot like the Spy Who Loved Me and all these other things, and I, I just love that idea of like you know one this one soundstage with so much movie history. That's that's just like so amazing to me. That's awesome. It's it's at thirty nine thirty six around about there, Rob. Thirty four, thirty five. And yeah. I and I just want everyone to know. Oh that yeah, polar... there it is. Oh my god, I've never noticed that little puppet polar bear. That's fantastic. Oh, I love that. Well, they are the most dangerous creatures on the planet. <laughs> Jonathan Peters is like, yes, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> So that that actually brings up an interesting question: Was the polar bear shot in Man of Steel a jab at Jonathan Peters or a reference to this? Hmm. Good question. Well, do you prescribe subscribe? Sorry, not prescribe. Do you subscribe to the uh, to the Henry Cavill's face turns into Christopher Reeve? Uh, no, no, <laughs> not at all. Look, look. All of these guys look like Superman. Okay, if if you I mean, when I first saw Tom Welling, I'm like, I could totally see him as Superman because he's got that chiseled chin and all that. So, yeah, when you're blowing air and there's all kinds of distortion going on, it's going to kind of look like Christopher Reeve. But, (laughs) you know, 
that was one of those things that kept coming up that I was just like, can we could just go back to arguing about him killing? Because at least there, I, you know, I, that argument makes sense. So. <laughs> we were really getting Mike going today. Yeah, this um, is great. Boy, you get Mike talking about Superman, the movie, and he is just, he's just <laughs> I'm also very tired. So that helps. <laughs> Uh, I do want to mention at um, the 3959 mark where we get the reverse shot of Clark looking out over the horizon. What a beautiful matte painting that is. Those, those, mm-hmm. those matte guys, man, from like the, seven, the 60s and 70s, those guys were, and the 80s, of course, geniuses, just yeah. utter geniuses that they could paint these backgrounds that would be projected onto something 70 feet wide you know 70 feet high and it would hold up it would look good this is like the unsung artists of movies these mad painter guys and they're they're pretty much you know they're 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 not around anymore because there's no real need for matte paintings but man this is this is you know this movie and star wars and raiders they those are like the the you know the ultimate examples of the great matte paintings but i love this that, that shot of just um the antarctic horizon i just think it's it's just beautiful one of my favorite shots in the making of Superman, or may have been Superman 2, it's one of those uh, that they produced uh, in coordination with these films, was you see somebody painting on the glass, uh-huh. and they're, they're, they're painting the fortress, and, and it's just like, oh my god, that was a painting, I never thought of that as a painting, you know, you know, monk freak, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just um, one of those yeah. things where, where, you know, I'm not... I'm not one of these people that are just like, well, back then it was so much better because, you know, I'm, uh, CGI is artistic in and of itself. That's not just somebody, you know, you know, you know, tapping three keys and it pops up. It's somebody going out of their freaking mind, creating a wireframe and then adding elements to it. And then how do I make this cloth move and all that? But at the same time, you realize that they couldn't do that back then, so they had to have people that were so talented. Like, on an artistic level, I can barely draw a straight line. <laughs> so the, the fact that you were able to, to create this convincing background, just, uh, like, my, my hat's off to you, because it's an extraordinary effort. Hey, Mike, artist yep. tip? Artist tip for the straight line? Use a ruler. <laughs> Yeah, yes. Bob learned that at the Wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. I'm writing this down. Okay. Use a ruler. <laughs> I know what Chris was about to say. Yes, I that took me three years of the Joe Kubert school to learn. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Tom Stoller got it in one, so that's why he was He was always ahead of me anyway. <laughs> oh, jeez. Have I mentioned that I never found an icicle that I didn't try to throw into the snow to make the forest <laughs> solid? That's awesome. I love that. That's right. Yeah, you, I love how the way kids' brains work is like. Is that a? I, I never did that, but I totally could see why you would do that. It's just like you know when you see something that if you see like a piece of ice that looks just a little different, you're like, hey, hmm, let me give this a try. Why not? Let me chuck it in there, see what happens. Well, so far, it's never happened, but I'm still, I still don't see an icicle that I don't chunk and hear, you know, that's like. <laughs> and, and think of the fact that they actually went, you know, when, when we're given the fortress in the comics and the first, like, full-on, not the, the secret citadel in the mountain hideaways, I'm talking like the fortress of solitude, you know, it's just there. 
Yeah. You know, it, you know, and they just added stuff to it. Here, they actually decided to try to explain it. Now, I'm not completely on board with the explanation, but it works within the context of the film, so I go with it. But, you know, they, they gave us an origin of the Fortress of Solitude. He threw a stick, and it grew. I mean, it's just like, okay. You know, I, I disliked later that in absence of coming up with a new version of Krypton, they just brought back the Sunstones and the, the Crystalline Fortress and that version of Krypton uh, because I felt it worked in this film, but maybe not so much in the comics. But within the context of this movie, I, I think you know it, it's a great little like origin sequence for the Fortress of Solitude. And since this is the first big-budget Superman film, there were probably people in the audience that were only familiar with either the radio show or the George Reeves series. So it's like, oh, he's got a he's got a hideout in the North Pole. Wow, that's amazing. So I just you know hats off to the creators of the film for go, for not doing a comic book version of the movie. And believe me, if you read comic book fans' reviews of this film back in 1978, some of them are not very kind, um, <laughs> proving we have learned nothing. Yes. But uh, but for like John Q. audience member. This is their introduction to a big part of Superman's world at that time. So that that to me is what's you know staggering about this part of the film. Yeah, one of the one of the things that that my son Andrew remembers uh, as a kid that he brings up every time it snows was one year we had like a, a snowstorm and then we had an ice storm on top of it. So there was all this snow and then there was you know like ice. Uh, that there's a layer of ice out there and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't go to work that day. They called off work. And so this was not too long after Superman returns come out. So he had all these action figures and we went outside and we made the fortress out of the ice <laughs> for his action figures. Oh, that's awesome. It was, it was awesome. He still talks about it. Remember when we made that out of the, it's like, yeah, and it was, I mean, and it looked pretty good. I have to, <laughs> you know, cause it, it, it just, you know, you could break off the pieces and they stayed just right. And we, you know, kind of tilted them at angles and leaned them against each other, and it it looked pretty good. <laughs> it's it's the only time that Arctic Hoff Lex Luthor from that action figure line actually worked. That's right. <laughs> uh, what kind of uh, poems did you plug into the uh, uh, <laughs> database? It was about trees. There. Okay. The captain uh, lady sings its song. <laughs> I am. I am positive one of the crystals played the Smokey and the Bandit theme. <laughs> you know it, brother. <laughs> Jerry Reed showed up in the image on the crystal. <laughs> oh, that'd be great, son. Son. Now me and Hobo Jones and Big John Sally having a crap in the back of the alley. <laughs> uh, folks, if you can't tell, we're recording this very late at night. Uh, clock tell Mark can't to throw some groceries down my neck. <laughs> look, look, look. We, we have gone from John Williams and John Barry and Richard Donner to Jerry Reed. <laughs> if that isn't the alpha and omega of pop culture in the 70s, I don't know what it is. There you go. Did any of those guys ever team up with Scooby-Doo? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Let me ask you guys a question. Did when he throws the crystal, it's one of the cases where I really notice it. Did they 
did they bump up the sound effects on this movie when they cleaned it up for the, you know, 2000, 2001, when they did the special edition, the director's cut, quote unquote, because it seems like the crystal sounds like more pronounced as it's flying by than I remember it. But I, I could be wrong and it could just be, you know, a part, a product of cleaning the, the sound and the, the picture up. I don't know. I've never been well, able to notice. If, there is a difference in the sound. Um, if you want to start an argument amongst fans of this film, go into a group of them and talk about the sound editing in the 2001 special edition, because you will get some anger Mm. Um, that like that the purists really hated the fact that they changed, like, you know, especially in the opening sequence with the stuff coming towards the screen, they really punched that up. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more pronounced in the special edition than it is in the theatrical cut, but I, I have to like sit down and like watch both and listen very carefully. But, uh, that, that's my educated guess from my remembering of the movie. I haven't watched it on any other media since these versions have been available. So, you know, now this is kind of in a way subplanted the the old version, you know, and it's not I mean it's not Lucas, you know. I mean we're not we're not talking about that type of stuff, but but the sound is I think, you know, like you said when the credits come at us and and there's little things like I think there's you know, in one very important moment in this movie there's an extra little rip sound that wasn't there before i don't think and i've that's always kind of bothered me that one jumps out at me um so but i that's without me going back and and watching the like the old vhs tape i have because i don't have a working vcr which sucks uh so (laughs) i got lots of vhs tapes and no vcr uh but uh so yeah, I, I I I just stuck out at me this time, especially when the when the crystal's flying through the air before it you know lands. Much like in the uh, one of the previous episodes uh, that we covered, Mike, uh, where Chris and I talked about the one where where Clark kicks the football. And I said, you know, like if this was a different kind of movie, we would cut to the football, like smashing into Dean Wormer's office and smashing the <laughs> jug of water and, you know, cover. And, and so I think about here when Clark throws the crystal, like just for two seconds, we see it fly over Doc Savage's head because he's up in his Arctic base. He's like, what the hell is that thing? And then you have uh, you have Santa and Mrs. Santa. Right. Like, you know, heading because that was a Salkind production. As we so know, the, the Salkinds were getting ready. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> wow, what, Santa Claus what? the movie, the reference. Wow. <laughs> hey, hey, I watch it every year. <laughs> Not even fooling. Santa Claus may- the movie minute coming soon. <laughs> uh, hmm. Oh, we got to get through Superman 2, 3, and 4, so, you know. <laughs> and that's when my audio starts breaking out, and you guys lose touch. Oh, yeah. It's like, bye without me. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm. Well, do we have anything else we want to add about this segment that ends with the crystal, you know, hitting the, landing in the snow? I'm I'm good. I'm, the one last little bit I will mention is I think this scene is 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 terrific at, at leaving uh, the mystery. This movie leave, has a lot of unanswered questions about. I think if they made it, 
well, they did kind of make it really now with Man of Steel, but I think, like, I think modern blockbusters would have to explain all of this. You know, mm-hmm. why is he going mm-hmm. north? How does he know to do this? Because people would be like, I don't understand. Where are we going to get to the fireworks factory? But in this, it's just. Okay, it's just he's getting messages from his home planet. We don't know what those messages are, and that's fine. It doesn't matter. It's he's got this crystal. It's clearly communicating to him on a level that we as humans don't understand because it's 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 Kryptonian technology, and uh, that's that's all you need to know. And I think that that's it gives it just that extra added little bit of mystery. And Superman is not a character I think you think of when you think mystery. You know, but uh, I, I like that they added that, that it's just sort of strange. And it's it's uh, it's just got that kind of weirdness element, which I think is a, a nice touch by Mankiewicz and Donner. Once again, waxing their car. Well, the, the, the thing is, is that Superman is one of those characters that has an origin that is so perfect that I honestly think that people ask and answer those questions because they've run out of other ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're right today. You know, when when in going to Man of Steel for a minute, you know, he went north because that's where the the Canadians found the ship. So it made sense for him to get all David Banner like and start hitchhiking, you know, along the side of the road. Whereas here, you know, I'm not jumping ahead to it. I'm just making the point that. Once you see him in costume, all of this is great, but it doesn't matter anymore because you're there for what you're there for. You know, Mm. this is Superman the movie. So it's good that they spent 45 or so minutes, you know, like going through this whole thing. But ultimately, that's that's really nice window dressing. I mean, it's nice enough that we're spending all this time talking about it. But ultimately, you're here to see a man fly. You're here to see Superman do Superman things. You're here to see his world. So I don't need to know why he went north. They told me he went north, and I'm good with that. And I think when you start trying to get into the weeds with it is where you start taking all the fun out of it. And that's when you start making decisions like, well, would Jonathan Kent really do that? And does he have a heart attack, or does he get sucked up in a tornado? Because one of those is a good idea, and one of those isn't. Yeah, I I think uh, you know I, I do like that that there is uh, there's there's a there's an element of uh, of uh, magic to it in a way. I mean, it's it, you can say it's advanced science, but it sure almost seems like magic. And uh, I like that. I I like that. You know, of course, some people say, "Oh, Superman doesn't mix with magic because he's vulnerable to magic." You know, uh, but you know, well, who isn't? But uh, but anyway, uh, you know, that always bothered me, but. Um, I, I, I do like that they, they added that it's, it, it adds to the mythic feel, which we all know that's what Donner was after. He's like, no, you can't, you can't do this silly. You can't do this campy. You've got, this is an American myth, you know, and, and, and these elements that are, that are somewhat unexplained that just kind of add to that, you know, they just, they, they kind of just, just fill in those little gaps. But like you said, Mike, in a, in a few minutes, it's not going to matter anymore because now we've got Superman and now we're going to have Superman and Clark Kent as we know him, uh, the, you know, mild matter reporter. So, uh, you know, then these little bits are, you know, just kind of left open for, you know, people that want to make sequels to the first two movies and really, really like the, the whole crystal thing to the point where they want to make it the major plot of the film. <laughs> Land. Yeah, that's right. 
It's all about land. Uh, so is that all we got, guys? I'm good. Yeah, me okay. too. And thus ends Minute 40 of Superman Movie Minute. Michael, thank you once again for joining us and discussing these very important moments in Superman movie history. Uh, guys, seriously, I really appreciate you letting me come on for these because uh, they are so important to the film. And it was just it's, well, it's just fun talking to the two of you, too, about one of the greatest films ever made. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming by. Uh, so where else can folks hear your dulcet tones on the interwebs? Uh, you can go to the Fortress of Bailey-Tude Podcasting Network, which is a mouthful, but I'm getting better at saying it, uh, which is located at fortressofbailey uh, there you can find all the shows, like Views and From Crisis to Crisis, Overlook, Dark Knight, etc. Uh, I am also, like all other humans, vulnerable to magic. So uh, <laughs> that's not listed on a site, but I just wanted to put that out there. It's on the back of your superpowers card, though. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and on Rob's, uh, back of Rob's card, it says, Arch Enemies, David A. Scudieres. Uh, <laughs> so true <laughs> I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm like the one member of the superpowers line that just has the one villain Mike gets like five villains but I just get the one mine's just David Ace Gutierrez <laughs> oh it's funny of course Rob and I can be found on firewaterpodcast.com we host a bunch of shows there I won't make Rob go through them because he probably doesn't want to and you can just go there and find all sorts of <laughs> All sorts of shows that we're on, Super Bates, Pod Dylan, Treasury Cast, all uh, you know, Fire and Water, Husu, all sorts of stuff. If you go to the uh, web, if you go to the website and you hit shows and you just pick a random show, odds are it will have either me or Chris. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> if we're not on it all the time, we've shoehorned ourselves in somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And by the way, while you're there, uh, leave a comment on this episode. We'd love to get your feedback. And, uh, you know, if you're on iTunes and, and you like the show, you can leave us a review. If you don't like the show, you can just forget you ever listened to it. And <laughs> it is getting late at night, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> so join our never-ending battle next time on Superman Movie Minute. See ya. Bye. This country is safe again, Superman. Thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night.